Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to EU Confidential. I'm your host, Ryan Heath the political editor at Politico Europe, and you're listening to the number one EU politics podcast. We've been hitting you with a lot of podcast episodes in recent weeks, so this week is a short episode, just a 20-minute interview with Manfred Weber, the person with the strongest chance of succeeding Jean-Claude Juncker as European Commission President later this year. I conducted the interview in Strasbourg with Nazan Kochtimir, a journalist from the Franco-German TV station Arte. It was part of a series of interviews with six candidates for Commission President, which you can binge watch on politico.eu. The reason we selected Weber for this podcast episode is not only because he's from Europe's biggest party, the centre-right European People's Party, he's also skipping the first EU presidential debate taking place Monday, April 29 in Maastricht. So you won't get to hear him in next week's EU Confidential. And I want to hold his feet to the fire for skipping this job interview. Weber is choosing to spend Monday night at a celebration of his political mentor. He's known about the debate since the day he became a presidential candidate, and his party supported his participation since May 2018. And yet he won't be there Monday. My own view is that missing a European debate to attend a party in Germany is a bad look. But I would say that, wouldn't I? I'm the debate moderator, Weber is standing up. So let's chat now with Andrew Gray, Politico's EU editor, to get another view about whether or not this really is a faux pas. Andrew, hit me with it. Is it just my ego that's feeling bruised or is this a bad thing for Weber to do? Uh, Well, I guess we can leave that to our readers. I can put the sort of Weber side of it, if you like, in that he's talking about Theo Weigel. There's a big celebration for the 80th birthday of Theo Weigel. And for people who, uh, unlike me, did not uh, spend the middle of the 1990s obsessing about German politics, Weigel was a big figure in Weber's party, the Christian Social Union. He was a big figure in German national politics. He was the finance minister at the time when the euro was being forged, if you like. I remember that we all used to follow him around everywhere and he would repeat endlessly that three means 3.0 in terms of the Maastricht criteria, of course. Well, turned out a little bit differently. running exactly. Germany's budget yeah. and you don't follow well, this the is rules, At the but... time, it was all about, you know, we're going to be super strict with the application of these criteria and he was the kind of front man for that view. And so he is, a, you know, a major figure in Weber's party in German politics and particularly, I think, there are kind of two wings to kind of simplify it a bit within his party. One which, if you like, is seen 
seen as more pro-EU, more pro-European. Uh, that's his wing. That's Weigel's wing. Uh, Weigel is kind of the godfather of that wing, if you like. And so there'll be a bunch of TV shows, and it's also celebrating right. his 80th birthday. So it is a deal that is going to let Weber be in touch with let's face right. it, a bunch of Germans, but there is another audience that he's going to touch on on Monday. Yeah, I would think he will, he will say this is, a, this is a, also a political event, a major political event in my home state. You know, it will be for voters and uh, listeners to decide, you know, which event is more important and whether... Or when you're the, the 26% of people who know who Weber right. is? Right, well, this is the other thing. This would have been, might have been an attempt to get his name recognition up a, a little bit higher. So, but this is the, this one of these things his, his campaign said to us, this event was not planned when we were talking about the debates it came up then and he decided to make this decision so as I say people will be able to judge for themselves right when they see the debate or listen to next week's podcast whether he made a smart move by being there or not but at least this week and you know examples of our usual exemplary fairness people will get to hear his voice in this podcast and pretty much no one else's except ours. Well, let's dive right into that now and hear this 20-minute interview with Manfred Weber. Manfred Weber, you are the Spitzen candidate for the largest political group in Europe, so that gives you a good chance of becoming European Commission president. But outside of Brussels and Bavaria, very few people know you. Is that a disadvantage for you? That is a challenge for all the candidates on European level because we are at the beginning of creating a real democratic Europe where people have a good idea about the candidates and where people know exactly that they decide about the future of Europe and not some kinds of backdoor deals in Brussels or some kind of technicians or, or even bureaucrats who decide. No, people decide. And we are offering as candidates now our program, our profile, our personality and people have to choose. So it should be really a democratic Europe which we will fight for. You have no governmental experience. What qualifies you for this job? Well, first of all, one third of all the members of the European Council, for example, the Prime Minister of Spain, Sanchez, had never before governmental experience. One third of all the members of the Council. The normal political process is that you're an opposition leader, like Sanchez, a socialist leader. You organize a majority in your parliament and you become prime minister. That's a normal way you become an executive function in the European Union. And that's why I'm surprised why I get this question all the time. Sorry, I'm a member of parliament since 15 years. I'm chairing the biggest political fraction, that of the European Parliament, for more than five years. And we are the most united family when it is about the voting behavior in the parliament. Mm. So what Europe needs is politicians who have an idea how to compromise in Europe, how to bring Europe together. And that is what I did. And the second item is people want to know what do you have in mind when you run for such a post. Mm. People want to know your program. And that is the point where people make the distinction or the differentiation about the different candidates. So I want to be elected about the program. Mm -hmm. But the difference is that if you become commission's president, you will uh, deal with 27 or 28 member states and with all different ideologies. So it will be tougher than leading the PPE. No doubt. It's a, it's, an, it's a new challenge for me. Absolutely. I think I'm well prepared because I got already a lot of support. If you become president of the European Commission, what will be the measure that you tackle first? Well, the first, most important question in 2019 is, can we keep the essence of Europe alive? And that means compromise. Nationalism, egoism against compromise. That is a key decision people must have in mind when they go to the elections. In, Does it mean uh, something like a constitutional convention on the treaties or you'd rather pick a compromise on one concrete measure? 
First of all, it's an approach, it's a way to do things. And Europe needs more than ever before bridge builders. You know, between East and West, we have a lot of very difficult issues on the table. Between South and North, a lot of difficult issues on the table. And I'm a bridge builder. I want to keep Europe together. That is my fundamental idea of Europe. And when you ask about the concrete issues, I'm traveling now around Europe in my listening tour. I was already in more than 17 countries, meeting more than 24,000 people. And then I listen to what people tell me. Then I say we have two big issues. One is still the migration question. It's mm -hmm. still one of the top issues about identity, cultural background, all the things which are linked to migration. And the second is the economic dimension of Europe. Mm -hmm. So can we keep our economic strengths strong and, and alive? And can we guarantee for the young generation, especially in the South, a real good economic perspective. That are the two dominate issues, and we want to take care of both mm -hmm. these issues. We're going to come to that in a second, actually. Mm -hmm. But I had one question about German influence inside the EU. You're obviously from Germany. The top civil servant now in the Commission, he's from Germany as well. And some smaller countries worry about German dominance. Isn't that legitimate for them to worry about that? That is, uh, in a way, always an issue that the two countries, the two big countries, France and Germany, have a dominant role. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, Germany and France is not Europe. So this cooperation of Germany and France is not Europe. Europe is much, much more than this. And I am fighting for this, I, for this idea that Europe is, uh, is a union of 27 strong and proud nations. And we have to respect all of them. So when I'm running, yes, I'm from Bavaria. Even my region is, for my identity, important. I'm a German citizen, yes. But first of all, I'm a European and I want to deal with European issues from a European point of view. And I have a lot of issues like North Stream 2, for example, where I have a lot of controversial points on the table where I not support my German government in these points. I do this from my party point of view, from an EPP, Christian Democratic point of view on European level. Lots of Europeans think that Europe is socially not really just, or there is social injustice in Europe. And even if the austerity is over, a lot of young unemployed people, unemployed youth people in Europe, in the southern of Europe, are, um, they have lost faith in Europe. So what would you say to a young Italian woman who is unemployed, looking for a job, even with a diploma? How can you help her? First of all, Europe is built economically on the idea of the social market economy. That's for us as Christian Democrats. We are not conservative, we are not left. We are Christian Democrats on this continent. And we believe in this fundamental principle that economy must serve to a social and fair economy and society, finally. That is the starting point. And when I look to what EPP did, you know, in 2014 we had a campaign when Jean-Claude Juncker was running, my party colleague was running as Commission President against the austerity policy, which was mainly managed by an EPP approach. It was Enda Kenny in Ireland, it was Rajoy in Spain, it was Pascos Coelho in Portugal. So EPP was responsible in this period of time. Mm. But the unemployment And I say, rate is still I tell very you, high. I tell you that we have now 240 million Europeans with a job. We had never such a high number of jobs in Europe. But we that have now the lowest the woman without a job. Yeah, but if you ask me, you see, I'm an EPP candidate. Mm -hmm. That's why it gives me the chance to tell also that not everything is bad. We managed already a good, positive development. We have created 13 million new jobs in the last 10 years. We have the lowest unemployment rate ever since we have a European check of the unemployment. That is positive. That is what we have to tell people because sometimes I have the feeling that people only see the negative things and mm -hmm. Europe also contributes to positive development. But that's not the end. 
What I believe in when we speak about the economy is that the most important thing that we have to do is to strengthen the innovation field because we cannot create economic strengths for the future if we have no innovation. The second thing is we need strong regional policy because especially in the poorest regions in Europe, in the south of Italy, in Romania, I don't want to compare the countries, but mm -hmm. the poorest region in Europe, we have to practice solidarity more than ever before. Mm -hmm. And the third element is trade. Without trade, without an upgraded EU-US trade relationship, which we are discussing at the moment, uh, we cannot have economic strength in Europe. That are the pillars mm -hmm. where we have to work more to create growth mm -hmm. for the future. And the rest, I have to be also frank, is national responsibility. We mm -hmm. have today in Spain a better economic situation than in Italy. And that has nothing to do with the euro, but this has a lot to do with a lack of reforms in Italy. So maybe example. this Italian woman should move to Spain then? Well, or to Germany? Has, yeah, who's, who's going to help her? Someone has to help her. And you know, maybe you're saying it's the national responsibility, not no, your responsibility. I, I say for the social field, Europe is responsible, no doubt about mm -hmm. this. We are, and we did it already with Marianne Tyson the last years that we strengthened the European social pillar. And I'm proud of this. But the European level is not the level who can solve all the problems. I also must be honest to people. And again, when we have in Spain a positive economic situation with the same European framework in mind, then in Italy, then it has a lot to do with the Italian domestic politics. Mm -hmm. And then the Italians voters have to think about mm -hmm. their own government, whether they can rely on them, whether they deliver on economic perspective or not. Mm -hmm. Talking about injustice in Europe, most of the people who are going to watch this program, I'm sure that they paid more tax than Amazon did last year. So uh, my question is, will you stand up to national governments and as well to nationals, multinationals, to ensure more tax justice? Yeah, and that they pay more tax actually in Europe. Absolutely, and I think there is a common understanding among the pro-European, pro-democratic parties in the European Union that we have to do this. That's not a, so much a question between parties, because I think socialists, EPP, liberals, we all share the principle behind that when small, medium enterprises are paying their fair share, their fair contribution to the state, then Amazon and Google and all must do the same. And, but the national uh, governments but the don't national like governments don't like this. That's more a question whether we really believe in European solutions. And the national states are still occupying this as their field mm -hmm. and they are avoiding, they are, they are blocking uh, solutions in this field. That is for me a key element, a key example to tell people, sorry, only with Europe, only through Europe, only with an European approach, we will solve this question of injustice inside of the European Union. Mm -hmm. Now, Euroscepticism is another big headline-making topic that runs throughout this whole election. Tens of millions of people are convinced that the EU is a bureaucratic, undemocratic monster. And they've developed that view while the EPP had all of the three EU president positions. Do you, as an EPP figure, do you accept some responsibility for that happening while you were in charge of the EU? Well, uh, I don't accept criticism on this because... Our big problem in the communication of today is that the national level is occupying the whole political communication. And what I see is that nobody allows Europe to have success. When you have success on economic terms, like job creation, then it was always a national capital who did it. Mm -hmm. uh? It was never Brussels. When, you, when it's raining, it's Brussels. When the sun shines, it's mm -hmm. the national capital. And that is what we have to stop. People know exactly that there is never no only rain or only sun. It's always in between. In Brussels, it's the same. You have positive things, mm -hmm. you have negative things. So please allow that Europe is also identified with some success stories. Mm -hmm. And we have these success yeah. stories. And the second element is responsibility. So 
Everybody knows when I'm in the European Parliament, I'm voting, everybody can check what I do, sir. How do I vote in favor or against the resolution or whatever? But on national level, when the member states are voting in the council, nobody has exactly an overview. They, you, it's, it's a, in a lot of fields, intransparent. And that is what we have to change. Mm -hmm. What we That's, need is a democratic yeah. Europe and a transparent yeah. Europe. At the general level, I think you have some good points there, but there's one specific individual, I think you must know this question is coming. Viktor Orban has created big problems across your party mm -hmm. and across the EU. He's launched big anti-EU campaigns, even against your colleague and president, Jean-Claude Juncker. Exactly. So my question then is, instead of cutting ties to him, finally cutting ties to him, why do you keep giving him a second chance? Well, it's not a second chance. It's, well, it's uh, a we, third or fourth now. Uh, we, give, we, give, we give clear signals. So uh, one year ago, I voted in the European Parliament in favor of an Article 7 procedure. You mm -hmm. know, it's a most powerful tool we have in our mm -hmm. hands to guarantee rule of law inside of the European Union. Yeah. And uh, a few weeks ago, we decided to make clear that he has no right anymore in the party to contribute to any kind of decision-making process. Mm -hmm. So we suspended the membership of Viktor Orban. But Orban's. you didn't expel and him, is my point. That is the next step. So that we gave now the mandate to Hermann van Rompuy, a very respected personality mm -hmm. on European level, to make a final checking. And then we will expel if there is no change. Do you think my, he can really change? It seems that he's really stuck in that groove and he doesn't you, accept the warnings. You can imagine that uh, having all my history with him in mind, I'm dealing since five years as group leader with him, he's always an extremely provocative politician. Mm -hmm. But until last summer, he was always ready to compromise in Vivian Reading times and so on. Mm -hmm. He was always ready to compromise. And one year ago, he decided not anymore to compromise. He followed the Kaczynski approach mm -hmm. of Europe. And that is for me uh, unacceptable. That's why my decision, our decision was a firm one, was a clear one, was a strict one. And may I ask you, I see we have a bigger problem in Europe. It's Viktor Orban is one question, mm -hmm. but we have Romania, we have Slovakia, we have Poland, mm -hmm. we have a lot of countries yeah. in the European Union where we have concerns about but the But isn't the best signal to all of those? And I agree there yeah. are problems. No, Wouldn't that's throwing right. him out be the good signal to Romania, to Poland, to the others? Well, again, again, to make the Article 7 opened, that was a decision of the EPP. Without the support of EPP, we wouldn't have an Article 7. So I think we were clear and firm on this. And to suspend him, in meetings, there is now Angela Merkel, Andrei uh, uh, Blankovic, it's Leo Faradka, the EPP leaders meet, but not Viktor Orban is there on the table anymore. So mm -hmm. our decision was a firm one, a clear one. But, uh, so I you won't you, take uh, his votes then? I we get down to a really tough vote for European yeah, Commission president. No, but, but again, it's not a party political issue, what I wanted to say. So I am firm and I will support all, all the politicians who are firm on defending our fundamental principles. But we need an upgraded rule of law mechanism. That is what I want to say. Mm -hmm. Because it's not a Hungarian question. Mm -hmm. It's not an I individual issue. It's a bigger question on the table. And there we have to be strict in the future. It's, uh, it's, it's a disaster. It's, it's very negative to say that today we have again problems with rule of law inside of the European Union. But it is the case. And yeah. that's why we have to strengthen our tools. One thing is sure that the number of Eurosceptics will grow. They are on the rise. In the next parliament, their number will increase. So your group is between Eurosceptics and pro-Europeans. So you have the choice between left and right. So which walk will you take? For me, it's crystal clear. I'm EPP. That means Christian Democrat. I'm based on what Adenauer, Schumann, de Gasperi 
also Helmut Kohl and others created in Europe. This Europe of today is mainly our Europe, the Christian democratic Europe. And that's why we will defend this Europe, whatever it costs, to the right extremists and also the left extremists. We have in the communist field also some politicians who are against the European Union integration. So I will fight against with all my capacity. And I want to open a new chapter. I'm a person of a new generation, of the next generation of European politicians. And to open this new chapter, a more ambitious Europe, a more united Europe, can only be organized by those who believe in the same idea of a strong European Union. And that's why my open hand, my cooperation approach goes to those who also believe in this but idea. And might, that is, I think, a clear answer. But you answer. might need the voices of, of the right-wing parties. Would you accept them to become commission president? Or would you say, no, I don't take your vote? Uh, on the question, what is right-wing, what is left-wing, it's in all the countries different. You know, Tsipras was governing, a communistic uh, mm -hmm. Tsipras was governing in the last years with a right populistic party in Greece. Huh? So what is acceptable, what is not acceptable? So what is right it's, for you then? For me, it's right when somebody is refusing the principle of cooperation in Europe, when somebody is becoming an egoist, when somebody is becoming a nationalist. Nationalists will ever have my full my full. Uh, aggression to fight against. Would them. you take Salvini's you know, vote then? I said, I said in the European Parliament a few years ago that I will never vote for an ENF candidate from Le Pen for a vice president of the European Parliament. Mm. I voted for a communist because there were personalities who mm. were able to do the job in a proper way. But I will never vote for a right populist and an extremist. And I tell you, the first visit I did after I became candidate for my party, The first external visit I did after I was elected was to go to Auschwitz. Because I am, as a next generation, as a young generation, we always must have in mind what nationalism yeah. and anti-Semitism and so on means for Europe. And that's why yeah. there is a clear red line for us as EPP yeah. that we will never work together with them. That was a very clear statement. But that's, that's no to Salvini. You won't do a deal with Salvini then. Absolutely. Mm. Salvini is not part of our team. Mm. He's a populist. He's a right populist. That's clear. That's the same, that's yeah. the same with, with Kaczynski. So we have a clear red line. Mm. And again, I must underline that I expect these from the other parties in the same manner, you see? Because in Romania, I must say it, yeah, we have there a government who is allowing corruption, where the state mm -hmm. president is accusing the own government to doing such unacceptable things. And that is the task of the liberals and of the socialists. So everybody has to do his job. I take my responsibility in my camp and others must do the same. And finally, we must agree on this common principle of the European way of life, of our values, which are so much under pressure. Now, one quick question on migration. You support stronger external borders, but the EU is really stuck now where it hasn't been able to do the reforms and create the legal pathways for refugees. And some of them are drowning in the sea. Do you accept this situation? No, we are, we are far away from solving the problem and the challenge and giving a proper answer on the challenge on the long run. That's why having in mind that we are discussing this issue for more than four years now, since 2015 mainly, and having in mind that this is politically kind of an open wound of the European Union because it's creating so much stress and really division inside of our societies. We have to solve it. I want to upgrade this. The next commission president must see this issue as his top issue to solve it. And what is our plan? We have two clear criteria. One is, yes, strict border control. I find it unacceptable that to build up 10,000 Frontex officers will take time until 2027. People out in the, in the so streets you'll, have you'll no understanding. Because we all have, have to, to speed up the interview. We have to do it, absolutely. <laughs> and the second element is resettlement. When Pope Francis mm -hmm. is in front of Lampedusa and in the Mediterranean Sea, then we he's reminding us on our humanitarian responsibility. Mm -hmm. That are the two sides of the European medal. Yeah, time passes so quickly. Um, yeah, before we finish, we would like to ask you some uh, questions. It's a rapid uh, 10 questions 
round. So you can just answer with yes or no, please. Very good. Okay, so the first question is, if you could decide, would the United Kingdom, uh, would you push them out of the EU? No, not pushing out, but okay. please come to a point. <laughs> okay. Should glyphosate be totally forbidden in the EU? In the long run, yes. And should vaccination be obligatory for children? Uh, sorry, again? Obligatory. What? Verpflichtend. Die the vaccination for children. Vaccination for Impfung. Also, uh, uh, I think it's a national responsibility, but generally I would say yes. yes. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. Should the Commission President be directly elected by EU citizens? On the long run, yes. That's interesting. Should the Russian sanction be removed? No, we need them and, uh, and okay. we have to be strong on this. All right. Should the EU national governments who refuse to take refugees face financial penalties? Um, no, I don't want to impose them, but everybody has to take a Okay, just no. Would you promise to take 50% women in your commission? Yes, I will do my best. Should there be a minimum wage all over Europe? Uh, It's, it's, a, it's an option, but you know labor market no. is mainly national. <laughs> okay, no. Should there be a tax on uh, airplane fuel? Uh, we need more, uh, yes. Yes. Good, okay. <laughs> I learned it. Should there be, final question, should there be a public holiday celebrating the European Union? Good idea, yes. <laughs> okay, so there's one minute left for you and your final pitch to the voters. Yeah, the most important thing in the year 2019 is stick to the pro-European, to the pro-compromise approach. We need compromise more than ever before. And having the global dimension in mind, Europe must stand up. Europe is asked to give an answer on global level that our European way of life is a good way to organize a society with democracy, with rule of law, with the principle of freedom and with equal treatment of men and women. So we have so much positive values to give to the world. I want to stand up and fight for this. And that's why we need the support of the peoples for such a democratic Europe who fights for the European way of life. Manfred Weber, thank you for joining us. I thank you so much. You were listening to the European People's Party candidate for European Commission President, Manfred Weber of Germany. He's from Bavaria's Christian Social Union Party. That's all we've got time for on this episode of EU Confidential. But remember, on Monday, April 29 at 7 p.m. Central European Time, you'll be able to watch the Maastricht presidential debate, five candidates on stage, co-moderated by me, Ryan Heath, to find out what their plan is for Europe. And in next week's episode, we'll give you the highlights of that debate. As always, podcasting is a team effort, so I want to make sure that you know this episode wasn't possible without Andrew Gray and Wei Dong Lin. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.